You're listening to Earth Lads Roundup. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is Earth Lads Roundup. I am your host, Michael Finelli, um, and this is the true first episode of the show. The first first episode, really more of an intro, um, but today we're going to really dive deep into the, the nitty gritty of things and uh, tear things apart and figure things out. Um, <laughs> okay, so... There's a lot that's been uh, going on lately in this crazy world of the climate crisis we now live in. Um, So let's run through some of the big headlines uh, in case you haven't been keeping track. Um, Starting off with uh, Sweet Home California is on pace for yet another record-setting wildfire season. Uh, We already have about 2 million acres burned. And they say that the worst may still be ahead of us. Um, Smoke from those fires has been causing its own weather patterns across the country. Um, Thunder and tornadoes. And at one point that it caused, it traveled all the way across the country, caused really bad air quality in New York City. Um, Those, the Dixie and Caldor fires up north uh, are the first in history that we know of to have crossed the Sierra Nevada mountain range. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and then, of course, Hurricane Ida, the effects of that are still being felt. There's still um, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people without power, uh, and there have been over 100 deaths attributed to that between the U.S. and Venezuela. Um, and then a couple firsts here. Uh, for the first time ever, the U.S. government declared a water shortage on the Colorado River. So um, that's going to have a lot of effects on all the states that draw their water from there. Uh, There's going to be some serious cutbacks in the near future. And then it rained in Greenland recently, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, The tallest point in Greenland, first time in recorded history to have rain there not supposed to happen it usually just snows uh and then a couple other international points over in europe uh countries like greece turkey italy and algeria have been struggling to respond to wildfires they haven't been prepared for the level of fires that they're seeing this summer um and then back in july there was some really intense flooding that hit Germany and Belgium. I don't know if you saw pictures. It was very heavy stuff. A lot of damage killed over 200 people in those countries. Um, Yeah, and that's all within the past few months here. So needless to say, (laughs) climate change is upon us. The effects are here now. They're being felt. Uh, It's causing a lot of damage and it's killing people. So 
we have to figure out how to live with it, how to how to mitigate the worst effects of it, and how to prevent it from getting much, much worse. So on that note, uh, let's talk about the UN climate report. So few big headlines from that. First, they said in the strongest terms yet that uh, unequivocally, irrefutably, humans are the driving force behind climate change. Um, so that's nice to hear. Uh, would have been nice if they had used that strong of language 10 years ago, but uh, that's okay. Um, they also said that some aspects of uh, our climate crisis are now unavoidable. That shouldn't really come as a surprise. We kind of already knew that, right? I said that in the intro, um, that some some things are inevitable because of what we've already done. Um, the ice is going to keep melting, sea levels are going to keep rising, and it's going to keep getting hotter. <laughs> um, so I just need to take a moment here to acknowledge the fact that everything that we see happening today, all of these extreme events, these heat waves, droughts, fires, storms, floods, were predicted to a T by scientists uh, at least 30 years ago, right? It was public knowledge at least 30 years ago. Um, and they were laughed at. They, they were called alarmists. They were, they were booed off the stage. And it's just so infuriating to know that we had a chance to stop this from happening. <laughs> we had a chance. We could have we could have prevented these terrible, terrible natural events that we're seeing today. And and we didn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think a big problem of it is that scientists don't speak in certain terms unless they are absolutely certain. Right. Um, and so people took advantage of that and said like, oh, well, you, you don't actually know that this is going to happen. And they're like, well, but we're pretty sure. Um, and so they were able to be written off. Um, also worth noting that, you know, we were up against what's probably the most profitable, um, asset ever. I don't in, in oil. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it probably is, um, so, you know, the cards are really stacked against us. Um, as an aside, if you're, if you're curious about uh, how we got here um, and what prevented progress from being made earlier, uh, there's a great documentary called The Merchants of Doubt that gets into, um, you know, the background behind the whole disinformation campaign. Basically, uh, Big Tobacco kind of set the playbook for employing these uh, scientific hack job people to go on TV and um, discount the science. Um, really interesting, well-made documentary. Anyways, um, yeah, so <laughs> the evidence is here though now, right? It's all in front of us. Um, we are, we're watching it unfold. So I don't understand how at this point anyone could uh, deny what's happening. Um, you know, I, I I'm, I'm out of patience personally. <laughs> I'm done trying trying to convince people. Um, if you're not ready to accept the reality of human-induced global warming and this life existential threatening climate crisis, um, then you don't get a seat at the table. Uh, you can go sit at the kids' table 
until you're ready to act like an adult. But the rest of us uh, have to figure out how to clean this thing up, um, you know, because not all is lost. Um, <laughs> that sounded weird. Uh, but yeah, we are not yet doomed. Uh, we can still make changes in order to prevent all-out catastrophe. That was another big bullet point from the IPCC report. You know, as as grim as things are, um, changes that we make today can still prevent things from getting worse. Um, here is one of the authors of that report speaking to the BBC. So every little bit of global warming makes the consequences worse. And so if we reach net zero emissions and stabilize global temperatures and stop them from continuing to rise, then we will stop things getting worse for changes in extreme weather. Okay, so that's great. That, that should be motivating, right? Uh, that is a call to action, if I've ever heard one. Uh, we have to slash emissions immediately. And if we do that, every little bit that we do will uh, make a difference and will prevent things from getting even worse. But unfortunately, uh, some of these natural processes have already been set in motion, as he goes on to explain. But there's no going back. Um, and the other exception to this is that sea level rise, that will continue for centuries or even thousands of years, even if we manage to stabilize global temperatures. Uh, and so there are very, very long-term consequences um, from our actions that we've already taken and the actions we'll take in the future. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I know that sounds depressing. Um, and yes, that sea level rise will be problematic, but we can still prevent it from becoming catastrophic, right? Um, you know, they say in this same report that if we can cut emissions in half by 2030, and if we can get to net zero by 2050, um, then we can stop and maybe even reverse the temperature rise that we're seeing. Um, here's a couple of the other authors of that report. Uh, Dr. Frederica Otto is quoted also to the BBC as saying, uh, lowering global warming really minimizes the likelihood of hitting these tipping points. We are not doomed, end quote. Uh, so that's about as explicit as we can get, right? Like, uh, I don't know if, you know, you may have seen other places, uh, pundits or meme accounts saying like, oh yeah, you know, all, everything's lost. Like go, go huddle up and, and wait for the end. Well, the authors of the report explicitly say we are not doomed. Okay. So stop crying. Let's figure out what we can do. Um, uh, here's another more specific explanation about it from another one of the co-authors, Professor Pierce Forster, uh, says, quote, but we now expect nature to be kind to us. And if we are able to achieve net zero, we hopefully won't get any further temperature increase. And if we are able to achieve net zero greenhouse gases, we should eventually be able to reverse some of that temperature increase and get some cooling, end quote. Wow. How about that? We now expect nature to be kind to us. After all that, after how unkind we were, um, there is still hope for uh, nature to heal itself if if we take drastic measures. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break. Here's a word from our sponsors. Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors yet. Uh, maybe someday. Um, okay, so... 
I want to do a quick explainer on what exactly climate change is, how it works. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty foundational, obviously. So um, I think it's worth worth going over. Maybe you don't, you didn't quite know, or you don't, there had some confusion around it. Maybe you're an expert on this stuff, but it's always good to review, right? Right. Okay. Um, so uh, first off, there are some great, like, illustrations on the internet, uh, which I recommend you look at. Um, it's hard to do this with just audio, but I will do my best. Um, so basically, planet Earth is this miraculous place, right? Because we have uh, an atmosphere um, that protects us from the sun's radiation, but it also keeps some of that radiation inside from bouncing back out into the universe. So you can think of it kind of like um, both sunglasses and like one of those emergency blankets that keep your body heat in. <laughs> those are the analogies I thought of. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, if we didn't have this atmosphere, um, we would have very extreme temperatures, right? Um, because we would get too much of the sun uh, when we're during the day and not enough of it at night. So um, because of this magical mix of gases in our atmosphere uh it allows us to keep that um happy medium that goldilocks temperature range um okay so understanding that uh certain elements uh in within the atmosphere enhance the effect of trapping more of that heat um within our atmosphere and we call those greenhouse gases right because you think of a greenhouse um the for gardens they they let sun in and then they trap it inside um so there's a bunch of greenhouse gases um some of them are pretty harmless like water vapor uh there's not you know that's not a problem <laughs> it's not a problematic greenhouse gas but it does um have that same effect uh, chlorofluorocarbons or CFCs, nitrous oxide, uh, and then the big important ones, methane and carbon dioxide. Um, not really going to get into methane today, probably next week. Um, carbon dioxide, obviously the biggest and baddest and the most problematic um, of the greenhouse gases. And uh, basically, since humans started rapidly burning fossil fuels after the industrial revolution um around the mid 1800s uh we were burning fossil fuels coal and oil um and later natural gas uh we pumped enough carbon dioxide into the atmosphere to substantially enhance and heighten that greenhouse effect and so now the atmosphere is retaining too much of that heat uh too much of that radiation so um it has served to gradually increase the average global temperature uh that's the number that they reference um so scientists point to um what the average global temperature was um at the start of or before the industrial revolution and watched how it's rise since then um and so now we're basically at around uh, like 1.1 degree Celsius rise. And um, in this UN climate report, they essentially confirmed that we're probably going to cross the 
one and a half degrees that we were hoping to avoid, but um, even in the most optimistic of scenarios, that's probably going to happen by 2040. Uh, so now the goal is to prevent um, us going even higher up until up to two or even three degrees by the end of the century. Um, one other thing I just wanted to clarify quickly is that uh, the greenhouse effect is similar to but completely different from the ozone hole issue. Um, I think people mix those up sometimes. Um, so the ozone, uh, well, ozone is a, um, a gas. It's three oxygen molecules and it exists in the atmosphere and it prevents certain particularly harmful uh, rays from the sun from coming in um, and there are certain chemicals chlorofluorocarbons which are also a greenhouse gas um, those act to break down ozone and so scientists started noticing this in the 2000s and uh, the world got together and fortunately that one was a fairly easy fix um, they passed the Montreal Protocol in 2010 which uh, effectively banned CFCs worldwide, and that's mostly a, a environmental success story at this point. It's not the ozone isn't like completely out of the woods, but um, it's in pretty good shape at this point. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to clarify the difference there between that and climate change. Um, fast forward to today, um, one other big note from the IPCC report I wanted to talk about was the um, advancement we've seen in the science of attribution. Um, so a few years ago, uh, scientists were not able to decisively say, yes, this specific extreme event was made more likely or more severe because of climate change. Um, but now they can. Uh, they now point to events like um, Hurricane Ida and say that um, this specific event was um, made worse by climate change. Uh, here is uh, an NPR reporter, Rebecca Hersher, breaking this down for us. NPR's Rebecca Hersher reports climate change made the storm more dangerous. Ida formed over abnormally warm water in the Gulf of Mexico. That helped it become a more powerful storm carrying more moisture, moisture that fell as extreme rain, far from the Gulf Coast. As the remnants of the storm moved across the Mid-Atlantic and New York City on Wednesday and into Thursday morning, the rain fell too quickly to soak into the ground in many places. Flash floods turned roads into rivers and shut down much of New York City's subway system overnight. Tornadoes caused extensive damage in the Mid-Atlantic, including in suburbs of Philadelphia. Storms like Ida are getting more common as the earth gets hotter. Rebecca Hersher, NPR News. So that's a huge deal. Um, you know, there's no more beating around the bush. Um, we can now break down why things were so bad, right? Um, the storm formed over warmer water, hotter air, able to hold more moisture. As it moved, it dropped um, more rain at a time and the ground wasn't able to soak it in. So it caused flash flooding. Um, so yeah, it's a big deal being able to point to specific events and say, look, look at all this damage and death that was caused. Um, 
that's because of climate change. That's because we've continued to burn fossil fuels. Um, so it's direct, tangible evidence that we have to immediately transform our economy and our, our the way that we've lived life thus far. So speaking of immediately transforming our economy, uh, the LA Times came out with a big story back in late July that I have a bone to pick with. <laughs> um, so here's the, here's the headline. It goes, California's electric car revolution designed to save the planet also unleashes a toll on it. Um, and they go on to um, basically break down that there's this newfound demand in California and elsewhere for electric cars, and it's um, pushing these uh, new industries of extraction for um, lithium and other rare metals that are needed for electric car batteries. Um, and so they basically take the perspective that um, we're trading one environmental crisis for another. Um, and I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, look, I, I understand and agree that it's important to be aware of potential environmental impacts as we navigate this transition into a renewable economy. But to suggest that we should slow down that transition out of an abundance of caution for potentially maybe disturbing a habitat somewhere um, is absurd. It's like saying that, you know, a house is on fire, which the earth literally is, um, and the firefighters are there, they whip out the hose, they start um, putting out the fire, the owner runs up and says, oh, no, no, wait, like, the water might stain the linoleum. Like, what are you talking about? We have to put the fire out or else the linoleum is going to burn to ashes. Um, these habitats are going to be destroyed by climate change if, if we don't stop it. So, um, yeah, it, it's just ridiculous to pretend like these things are at all comparable. Um, you know, they bring up uh, that potential species could be threatened by these new mining operations and they talk about specifically one of the sites involves um, harvesting these metal rich nodules that are on um, part of the ocean floor um, and they're saying that it could threaten certain species there they recently discovered this jellyfish or something that was made you know people loved on social media it went viral it was so cute you're just taking advantage of people's emotions at that point, you know, saying like, oh, well, we have to protect this one thing. Every every species is currently threatened by climate change. And we know that there are currently mass extinctions happening because of the warming temperatures. And so <laughs> we have to stop that. Um, and, you know, it, we should do that as carefully as possible. Um you know, I think of the Silicon Valley saying of move fast and break things. You know, this process should be move fast and break as little as possible, right? We should be as careful as possible, but we can't slow down, unfortunately. We don't have that luxury anymore. We have to transition um, or else <laughs> all of these other concerns will be irrelevant. We're literally melting the planet away. So yeah, and part of the problem here is NIMBYism, right? That acronym, not in my backyard. Uh, <laughs> they, they interview this rancher 
in northern Nevada who explains why his concerns about uh, um, a proposed lithium mining operation going in near um, his ranch. Here he is. Obviously, we need to get lithium someplace, but we need to look for the most sustainable way um, to get lithium and, um, and look at all of the impacts. Is there a better way to process it here? Should it be processed elsewhere? <laughs> uh, so that's just a textbook, right? Textbook, not in my backyard-ism. Um, he literally, he, he acknowledges that we obviously need lithium, right? This guy is, uh, environmentally conscious. He understands the need for renewable energy, but he just doesn't want it mined there because it's going to affect, um, him and his livelihood, uh, which is perfectly understandable, right? Like I, I get that, but, um, unfortunately there's always going to be someone who has an issue with, um, any operation you're going to do, right? I think this guy should be fairly compensated uh, for his troubles, but if this is the best place that we can find these resources to power renewable energy, then it's what we got to do, right? Um, so I will say that later in the article, they present an alternative for um, a more sustainable way of doing this. Apparently, you can draw lithium out of the brine that's created by geothermal power plants. That's cool, um, right? If we're able to get enough doing it that way, great. By all means, let's let's go with that. Um, but if it doesn't turn out to be feasible or sufficient, then um, we got to find it somewhere else. Um, so there's also the question raised of whether this is all even necessary. Um, you know, some people suggest that there's enough of these resources elsewhere and that we can get them through these uh, supply chains largely controlled by China um, or whether the technology of these batteries is advancing so fast that in a number of years these resources won't even be necessary. I don't know. I don't have enough information or knowledge to speak on those things intelligently. Um, but what I do know is that um, we have to rapidly shift the way that we live in this world um, and we have to stop burning fossil fuels and one of the biggest sources of carbon emissions in California and nationally is transportation and that comes from um, internal combustion engine cars, right? So shifting to electric cars is not uh, some sort of misguided crusade, as this article suggests. Um, it is the best means that we have of uh, making our transportation sector more renewable quickly. Um, you know, I know there's other technologies being explored for hydrogen or whatever um and i'm i'm all for that but if those are proved to be more sustainable great let's let's get them up and running but uh, electric is what we have right now and so we have to we got to ride with that no pun intended haha <laughs> that was dumb um okay so last thing that i will leave you with today uh, if you are in California, there is a recall election going on. I'm sure you've heard about it. <laughs> um, if you haven't voted yet, make sure you do. The last day is Tuesday. Um, and 
look, I will acknowledge that there are several reasons that you might not like Gavin Newsom. Um, you might think that his pandemic restrictions were too harsh, or you might not like the fact that he went to dinner at French Laundry, or maybe you think he hasn't done enough to address homelessness or police brutality or some other policy of his. Um, maybe you just think he uses a little too much grease in his hair. You don't really like his temperament. All somewhat valid, I will say, <laughs> to varying degrees. Um, but consider that if he's recalled and replaced by someone who is less aggressive about addressing the climate crisis, um, then we're going to lose a really important voice and leader in at a really critical time in this movement. I'm not sure if that governor would be able to enact any substantial policies because they'll still have a overwhelmingly democratic uh, legislature to deal with. But, um, you know, just having that voice of being the governor of California is really, really powerful. Um, you know, the Biden looks to us like we kind of set the bar for a lot of this stuff. So, um, you know, we just don't have any time to waste. We can't spare a year and a half or whatever it is left on Newsom's term with someone who isn't going to be as aggressive about addressing this stuff. So, uh, I will leave you with that. Stay civically engaged. Um, <laughs> stay tuned in. Uh, and I will see you next time. This has been Earth Lads Roundup. I'm Michael Finelli. Thanks for listening.